Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 33. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide, and in 1999, I founded the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident outdoors by using traditional skills, a few simple tools, and field-based experience. Whether you're looking to go from city slicker to competent outdoor professional, want to experience a remote expedition, or just want to learn a few new outdoor skills, we've got you covered. You can check out the show notes to this and all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. When you're there, click on the podcast button. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Lastly, the best way to keep up with our programs and trips is to join our email newsletter. And you can do that at jmbnews.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Smith, and I'm sitting here on a cool... Uh, spring morning it is it is spring it's officially spring it's officially spring uh and there's still about nine feet of snow outside uh with my good friend ed butler aka working class woodsman yep good to be here glad i made it yeah touch and go there for a while but uh, our road is quite a disaster this time of year especially when when it's cold in the morning still it's like there's no traction at all no it's uh and again this is um march and uh, we're supposed to be like into the thaw and this and that, but we're actually getting another, maybe possibly a foot of snow tomorrow. Which is awesome. I'm looking yep. out the window right now and the snow is waist deep yep. uh, by the door. So Yeah, it's brutal and th- it's froze solid. This is the, uh, I'm always reminded of Garrison Keeler who used to do the Prairie Home Companion when he said that March is the month that the good Lord created to show people who don't drink what a hangover is like <laughs> that's a good way of putting it actually and actually uh, on that real quick wasn't the first day of spring always march 21st it's the equinox but that is, is that changes. what it is okay yeah i'm not really up i guess up on that but someone mentioned that yesterday i said you know you're right it usually is the 21st but i'm not sure how they decide whether it's the 20th or the 21st or who decides that yeah you know, i don't know the same guy that changes the clocks back and forth Maybe. Maybe. Okay. He they kicked him out of uh, what Arizona? They're not doing clock changes anymore. Did you read that? And Florida too. And Florida. Yeah, that ought to work. That'll yeah, that'll be interesting. Florida. Every I, four years they give us a lesson on democracy, and now they're going <laughs> to give us a lesson on how to tell time and when to get up. <laughs> See, I, I never. I'm one of those people. I've never either set my clock ahead or back. I refuse to. <clears> what? Because it, I've checked, and there's no difference. The, the sun still comes up and goes down the same period of time. So why am I going to look at my watch? It doesn't make sense. Well, the whole reason we do the time zones and watches is just to facilitate commerce, right? It was. I thought it was for the farmers originally. Was it? I, I think that wasn't it. Something to do with the aggregate, so they'd have more time. Oh uh, well, fields, daylight which, savings. Yeah, yeah, that was that was. But I mean, originally, like. Way back in the day. Oh, you're talking the... the, the 1800s. The t- oh, yeah, but also, I'm sorry. I was talking about clocks. I, we're not two different. We're talking two different things. Right. You're talking about um, the, the time zone. Yes. When you say that. Okay, and I was talking and about And about just keeping savings. time to the minute, which was right. a result of the railroads. Like, nobody cared. Before the railroad, nobody cared if it was 2 or 2.02. No. It was just like, it's, it's morning, noon, and afternoon, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and then, then the all railroads of a sudden, came along. When somebody buys a ticket... 
it, it, you better be there on time. Right. And now we all can wear watches. Right. And then we had to, for the sake of commerce and farmers, uh, daylight savings time. Right. 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 Now, which we've eliminated, no one wears watches anymore because everyone uses their cell phone for to know what time it is. I'm so over that. I'm so tired yeah. of hearing people. Whenever they're late, my phone died. That drives me a little yeah, daddy. Because without your phone, first of all, you can't get anywhere because that's where your GPS is. Right. Because no one can, you know, no one knows, you know, northwest, south. No one knows anything. They just say, well, I'm going to 48th Street and Broadway, and the phone gets you there. So right. without the phone, which kind of, kind of segues us into the uh, first. <laughs> I, w- I just had to say that. It's a new word. And I love to say it. I'm going to segue into this. Genius. Yeah. Genius. So, yeah, today we're going to talk about a couple of uh, myths that are very prevalent in outdoor literature, outdoor culture. And, you know, uh, like most times that we sit down and have a discussion, we have no idea where that's going to lead us. But it might be interesting. It's usually in a tailspin, but... <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? This, we might pull it off this time. So a couple of myths. One of my favorite myths that I've seen in old books and I've tried to spend the last 20 years dispelling has to do with with uh, navigation, right? And, and I've got a theory as to where it came from. But the myth is that moss uh, only grows on, that you could navigate by finding moss on a tree because it's on the north side of a tree now we have a big unit and lots of stuff that we do in our programs about barehanded navigation or navigation with no modern tools such as a gps or a compass or whatever but this myth this myth really endures right and Mm -hmm. as will you agree with me as saying that there's absolutely no way that you can navigate based on the moth moss growth patterns on trees absolutely no you cannot that is not a reliable because it has nothing to do with the cardinal points and it has everything to do with the microclimate right there. So I have a theory as to how this thing got started, right? And my theory goes something like this, that way back in the day, and I'm guessing it was, my guess is that it was in the Catskill Mountains, and I have no idea, I have nothing to base that on. Um, But my guess is that somewhere in the Catskill Mountains of New York State, there was an old woodsman, and I don't know if he was a native guy, if he was an old white trapper, I have no idea, but he was most likely illiterate. And I, he was out with a young guy who was a writer, and I'm guessing this writer is from New York City because I just like to pick on them. And the old guy pointed uh, at some moss in a little canyon that was grown on the north side of a tree, and in that little microclimate, in that location, he could navigate by it because he knew that location. And he pointed at the tree and he said, look, moss, it shows which way is north. And the writer added one little word when he wrote it down and put it in some now long gone book or magazine. And he added the word always. So the writer said that moss always grows on the north side of the tree. And then we're left with this ridiculous myth that's been poking its head up for a couple of hundred years at least. Ever, yeah. Ever since I can remember, that's always I've heard that time and time and time again. Moss always grows on the which, to in in all honesty, it it, it does grow on the north side of the tree and the south east and <laughs> west foot, side. It's not biased. It'll grow anywhere that the uh, climate says it should grow. It's moss. It grows where it wants. Right. Yeah. Yeah. North, south, east, and west. Nobody tells moss what to do. No, moss does what it's it like wants. It's like the honey badger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell him what to do. Yes. But no, that's a good point. And uh, I still, and, and another thing I, I hear time and time again, well, if you're ever lost, just follow the sun. It's like, 
okay, so the sun rises in the east, sets in the west. That's awesome, but what if you can't see the sun? Yeah. First of all, what if it's a what if it's a blizzard? What you know, it's like there's no. That's not. But time and time again, you hear that. It's like, well, you can always just follow the sun. It's that people just want to dumb things down yeah. to the point like, well, why not just learn yeah. how to navigate? Well, and it kind of comes down. <laughs> why not to, learn how to do it the right way instead of the sound bites? Yeah. And it kind of comes down to the like the little secret inner fear we all have. It's like we all want to have this figured out, and, and like, well, I've got this. I can, you know, it's it's that simple. I got it figured out. Yeah, we all do that. I, I mean, kind of got people... the pickle once trying to follow the sun. I was in Norway. <laughs> I don't know if you. Uh... Norway, Maine. Yeah, no, actual Norway. Really? Yeah, I was. Wow. Uh, I'm a bit of a celebrity. I was on one episode of a B-rated reality TV show, and uh, yeah, so now every time I go anywhere, I'm like, don't, don't pretend like you don't recognize me, and I demand like special uh, celebrity treatment at the grocery store. Like, where's the yeah. checkout line for celebrities? <laughs> celebrities only. That's the tabloid aisle. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I always end up in the like that one sketchy aisle where they sell the cigarettes. Yeah. Like, there's yeah. nobody in any other line. There's 60 people in that line. And they always direct me there. I wonder why, right? Well, you're celebrity. <laughs> celebrity status. So, another good myth. Um, there's a myth with with fishing, right? And, and again, most of these myths, they come from, as we mentioned, people trying to sort of dumb something down into a soundbite, which, which would never happen in our modern culture, right? Because everybody... I'm joking. It happens all the time in our modern culture. Okay. Okay. I may need an example of that, but go ahead. <laughs> go on with the myth. So, uh, I, you know, there's that old myth that fish can sense changes in pressure, uh, that that's what causes them to bite more before a storm. There's the old saying, there's a, and it's a true saying, yeah. everything stirs before a storm. So the fish are going to bite more, the animals are going to move more. You know, as they can sense the the impending change of weather. So yes. again, we're getting ready for I don't know our 700th snowstorm of the last three weeks tonight. Uh, actually, it's our fourth, but yeah. um, you know, so people are tired of it. But the 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 logic is that the fishing would be better right now. There's more if you were out hunting. There's nothing really open except for coyotes. But if we were out hunting, that there the game is more likely to be moving before the storm. Um, yeah, that's probably true. And, and it, you know, well, actually, just for the record, um, snowshoe hair is still open until March, until the end of the month. Okay. Yeah, and trapping season goes till April 10th for beaver, muskrat, and otter. But other than that, you're right. In, in you New Hampshire. Shoot, in New Hampshire. We're I'm in sorry. New Hampshire. Yeah, right in New Hampshire. So I, oh, you, you always got to throw that in because laws, as you know, laws change state to state, obviously. But um, no, you're right. Um, things, things are. Uh, Anyway, go ahead and continue. I don't. I, you well, won't. I was just going to say that uh, you know people are always trying to figure out why that why that is, and I've read in books where they say that fish, and I'm going to focus on fish here, that when slight changes in air pressure, you know, when the pressure air pressure drops, that they can sense this and they'll go into you know sort of a, a feeding frenzy in order to uh, get more calories in case the weather stays bad for a while. Which you know I, I once read in a book. Um, where they were talking about it. if a fish is swimming six inches below the surface of a lake or a river, say, and they swim down like another six inches to a foot deeper, mm -hmm. that the amount of pressure change that they uh, that they interact with there, you know, over that six inches of water is much greater, say, than like the highest high pressure ever to the lowest low pressure ever mm -hmm. in the air above them. So to think that it's the 
the air pressure that's that's driving that change is is probably a bit naive. Yeah, and then also too, there's a difference on the species of fish. Like you know, how deep do those fish go? Like like a cold water fish, like a trout, will go deep. You right. Know, whereas like a largemouth bass or a perch or a you know stay in the shallower, you know, shallower waters. Yeah. Um. Uh. But no, I mean that's you know I mean the the moon a lot of things affect basically with fish I think personally in my year you know all my years of fishing is that the the two things that really affect them is water temperature right is what drives them um and the as you mentioned earlier the light yeah um, you know they they need they the, because they avoid the light right so they you know fish tend to obviously generally bite better at night or on cloud covered days or deep enough so that the light isn't penetrating to where correct. they are that's correct and so, the other thing with fish is thermocline Right. Uh, that that when the thermocline in a lake or a pond locks up, that that dictates where the fish stay. So or, just or, for people out it, there who podcast land, what is it, a thermocline? Well, it's a, it's a layer. I don't know enough to explain it intelligently, but it's a layer of where the cold uh, the cold water and the warm water come together, and there's a line, literally a line. And if you have the benefit of elect- electronics, you can see that thermocline. Right. And like for an example, the best uh, in um, I'm talking about. Let's talk about New Hampshire. Uh, one of the lakes we fish, uh, in typically mid-August to mid-September, the thermocline is locked up in that period of time, and, and lake trout stay below that thermocline. So right. you can go out in 120 feet of water and jig up lake trout at the bottom of the lake nonstop because they're, they concentrate in that area, and, and they stay under that thermocline. Um, and there are lots of reasons why the colder the water, the more oxygen it'll hold. Yeah, uh, uh, just it's just what's what they're comfortable in. Right. You know, it's like fish are like any other. I mean, they're comfortable at certain temperatures. I mean, no no fish is going to swim around in 120 degree water. Some do, but not uh, a lake trout or a brook trout. You know, it's just not not the the world they live in. So it makes if the water's the surface of the water's warming up, they're going to stay deep. Right. For the most part. And that's why a good thing, as you wander around in the woods in the northern forest, a good thing to have in your pocket is a stream thermometer. And you come to a stream, check the water temperature. Because trout are super, uh, super driven by temperature. One degree yeah. can make, make the difference. Yep, yeah. one degree. So it's ama- And it is amazing because I've seen it like with salmon. Uh, that one degree, it's like they're biting, they're not biting, they're not biting. All of a sudden the water warms up two degrees and they're on fire. It's right. just that, that's what drives their metabolism. And that's what that's what drives them to spawn when they spawn, whether it's spring or fall or whatever, depending on the species. And it, it's a hard thing to really get into because it's a broad, you know, it's a big, uh, it's a it's a lot to talk about. But the sense yeah. of it, yeah, I don't think to get back to the original myth, the air pressure. I think, and you know where that might have started, if you think about it, is someone might have gone fishing on a low pressure day and had really phenomenal luck, or a high pressure. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, and yeah, depending on. Uh, and it's like anything, you know, it's like when you're hunting, it's like, well, you know, that's a great, great place to, to, to go deer hunting. I've shot three deer there. Well, maybe you just coincidentally ran into three deer there and no one else has ever shot anything, you know? So it's like, it, it all depends. It, there's a lot of factors there. We all, as humans, we often encounter correlation and think that it's causation, right? Like these two things are happening at the same time. So we think that A leads to B. Yeah, you know, the, the luckier we get, the more skill we think we have. Exactly. 
<laughs> I'd rather be lucky than good any day. Every though. day, every, every day. time. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Uh, so I guess, yeah, another thing we want to talk about is uh, kit. You know, well, um, and and before we hit the record button, we were talking about this, like, you know, is a, is a $900 fly rod really that superior to a $100 fly rod? And I know we both have some pretty strongly held beliefs on this. Uh, uh, number one, someday I want to cast a $900 fly rod. I want to hold one. <laughs> you know, I don't even touch those things in the shop because I'm afraid I'll break it. I, if yeah, I touch no. it, I know I just break the tip right off. Yeah. I just, I don't know how I do it, but I just know it would happen. Yeah. I don't think anyone would argue there's a difference between good equipment and bad equipment. But the, 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 the mystery is where do you draw that line? Right. You know, what is, and then you got practicality. And you've got uh, utilitarian, you've got, you know, what works and what doesn't. I mean, let's face it. We can go out and catch fish with a wooden stick and, right. a, and a string. You can do that. Or we'll, even, yeah. You know, will it, will, can you do it as effectively as using a spin casting rod? No. But we, more importantly, though, how good are you going to look while you're doing it? Well, that's, the, that's where <laughs> style becomes the obsession. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we all, you know, we, uh, it's, it's like anything. I guess if you get into a certain thing, we, we all want... We tend to want the best of, uh, like if you're if you're into hunting, you want you know you, you maybe you'd rather have a Weatherby than a than a, um, a J C Higgins, okay? They'll both do the same thing, you know. And I'm pretty sure if you asked a deer, they don't know the difference, you know. Were you shot with a Weatherby or a, or an old uh, J C Higgins hardware store gun? I don't, I don't think they really. In, you don't think that's what they talk I don't about think in they deer know. heaven? Yeah, no. It's like I think I was hit with a Remington. Yeah, that felt like a Remington. <laughs> But that's the point. It's like it's like where do you draw that line? And and for, fortunately or unfortunately, the internet uh, uh, or as I was, the guy up at Smelt Smelt Camp calls it the interweb. You know, when you're on the interweb <laughs> and trying to sell you a Toyota, and you know you see this mint uh, fly rod for sale, blah blah. But anyway, that's another story. But so but, but with that uh, all that information that's out there. In, in all the marketing, it, it's it's pretty easy to get overwhelmed as to what you need and what you don't need. And that's where the illusion comes in as to, um, like we're talking about the minimal kit is what you brought up. It's like, what is a minimal kit? Yeah, what's the minimum viable kit? Meaning what what's the least that I need to have with me to be successful in a certain yeah. endeavor? Like, for example, with fishing, right? What's If I'm going out for the day, what's the least that I need to bring yeah. with me to, to have a good day fishing, right? And I'm not talking like you know, survival fishing where I'm making my own line and making my own hooks. I'm, I'm talking like, you know, mm -hmm. realistically, I'm going out for the day mm -hmm. and do I need, but do I need to bring like 11 different rods? Do I need to bring like 800 spo different spools of line for certain? And well, that's, that's the thing I yeah. think that we're trying to get at. Like what, because I think if you bring them, if you understand what that minimum viable kit is for you and it's based on experience, how you figure that out, mm -hmm. then you're not as susceptible to blowing money you don't have on extra stuff that you don't need yeah which when we all yeah and you end up paying interest on those items and uh you know it's 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 that's where all the problems start but first of all i think it's gratifying let's just let's just agree that it's gratifying to have really good equipment i agree you know, i i, I yeah. mean i we, we, i, I we rage we'll love to have it <laughs> i rage against the kit monster but but yeah. you know i've got a yeah. barn full of it uh, but 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 again, I mean, I've seen your equipment, and you know, it's it's pretty shoddy. I mean, uh, it's, you know, we we can we can work on that. But but no, I, what Tim's saying is is right. I mean, you can get by with an old army surplus aluminum cook kit just as well as the latest greatest titanium uh, or or unobtainium or unobtainium, which is even harder to get. You can't, it's, you can't find it anywhere. It's, no, I've looked. <laughs> trust me. 
But uh, you know, so but so 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 back to what you're saying is like let's let's first off, like what do you really need if you're going out? Let's just say for a, a walk in the woods, or you're going out. Let's just say for a, a, a little one day expedition. I mean, there are a few things you really should have, uh, and you know, every, I think everyone agrees you need a fire starter. You should have a fire. Well, starter. it depends on the time of year. I mean, well, that's true. If I'm going for a walk in the summertime. Yeah. I won't. Uh, yeah. Well, let me let me preface this. If we're going out for a walk in the woods, I met a guy one time, and he was he was doing a workshop or running a course, and he had like a fully stocked, fully. I mean, there was no empty space in this thing, like a giant backpack, mm-hmm. like probably too big to go for like a long backpacking trip. It's probably yeah. fifty pounds worth of stuff, and he's like, "Oh, this is my survival kit. I bring it everywhere." I'm like, Six. "I wouldn't even bring that thing. Like, I'd leave that in the car. I'd never even. It wouldn't leave home. Probably had a trauma kit. Yeah, uh, like yeah. it had every yeah. imaginable yeah. piece of stupid. So he, kit. he was literally set up to hike the Appalachian Trail. But I guess my point yeah. is that like I'm 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 saying bullshit. Like he yeah. wouldn't carry no, that because right. it's too heavy. Well, first of all, you immediately you gotta you gotta think about how many calories is he expending, you know, carrying that six thousand cubic inch pack, right? You know, and how much water do you have to carry? To, you know, so so right off the bat, you're already, uh, you know, you're you're already in trouble. Well, let's say if it's you and me, we're in my truck, we're going fishing, we pull up, pull off the road at the stream, and we know there's a really good pool like half a mile downstream. Yep. You gonna put on a sixty pound pack to no. walk down there with your fishing rod to just to fish for like twenty minutes? No, no one is. No, no one is. No one is. No. Yeah, that's my point. Yeah. No, you're, and you're absolutely right. Um, unless you had some sort of means of conveyance like a canoe and you could just throw it in the canoe. Or a Sherpa. You, or a Sherpa. Yeah. Which is kind of like if you've ever, like when we go out on our expeditions, if you ever, if, if you pick up your pack, you'll notice mine is actually just full of those styrofoam peanuts. <laughs> I don't carry anything because you carry all the shit, all the stuff. But uh, you can say shit. We're gonna we're but, gonna but, mark this <laughs> explicit, uh, explicit explicit TVMA. language. But no, back, back to the, the the original question. Yeah, no, you, you, you we all I think it more times than not we we usually over prepare. Right. Um, and that kind of leads to it's like you hear this term EDC. Like, what's your EDC? My everyday candy or everyday chocolate? I think it's everyday carry. Is that what it means? Everyday carry. carry. Yeah. It's like, what do you carry? Oh, which is kind of clever because, like, what do you carry on yourself every day? Right. Yeah. Candy. Candy. Everyday candy. Right. And, and, and that works, <laughs> right? But when you think about it, realistically, no one walks around with a 10-inch survival knife every day. In, in this life, you know, in this, in this everyday walk of life. We're not including John Rambo in this? No. No, okay. No. Well, he's the exception. Okay. And there are some exceptions. But I'm pretty sure that someone going to work in an office building or a coffee shop isn't going to carry a full tang... Um, I gotta be careful because that is copywritten, isn't it? <laughs> I apologize. Uh, scratch that. But no one's gonna carry a ten-inch survival knife with a fire steel into a coffee shop and make espresso. It's just you're not gonna do that, right? Okay. And not that there's anything wrong with having a knife, but you're gonna make everybody else in that coffee shop really nervous. Yeah, you make ordinarily intelligent people do really stupid stuff yeah. when you dress like that. Yeah. Just so you know. But uh, and that's a whole other issue. But the bottom line is, you know, we carry a, maybe a pocket knife, maybe a lighter. Uh, you know, so in, odds are when you're in that situation, that's all you're going to have on you. Yeah. You know, is those few items. So when you fill in your pockets in the morning, think about it. It's like that's what's going to that's nine out of ten times. If you get into a situation, um, another word we're not supposed to throw around. <laughs> Damn, we're already in copyright problems. But, uh, you know, you, you, you got to think about, you know, what what uh you know what you're actually carrying around nine out of ten times is what you're going to have in that crisis situation whether you break down in your car or you run out of gas or you uh you know you fall down out in the woods going out to check your anything happens so realistically that's all you're really going to have on but the point is 
I, I think what you're getting at is, um, you know, where do you draw the line? You know, wh why do you go out and spend all that money on a particular knife or a, or a pack or anything else? What drives you to do make that decision? Yeah, and it's the, well, like we spoke about before we hit the record button, that we buy things based on emotion. Mm -hmm. Like we, we like to think, <clears throat> excuse me, we like to think that we're a rational creature with like this thin veneer of irrationality, subconscious kind of in the background. But, you know, the reality is that we're this big emotionally driven creature with a very thin veneer of rationality you know, uh, taped onto the front of us, right? Our, our frontal cortex. But most of our decisions are made by emotion, not logic. And marketers know this, and that's why they create ads that make us want to buy stuff that we don't need, right? It's all driven by emotion. Yeah, it's driven by masculinity. Uh, it's driven by, um, you know, a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, uh, physical appearance, uh, uh, just the ruggedness of a certain item or... Yeah, wanting to belong, wanting to be like the person yeah. in the ad, right? I mean, the classic case... Well, yeah, exactly. I'm not going to buy a knife off somebody I don't like. Right, but the, I know? mean, the classic ad that we can look back on... Uh, remember the Marlboro Man from the cigarette ads back in the day? Yeah. Yeah, so people... I mean, they Marlboro cigarettes became super popular. I think they dominated yeah. the uh, I, cigarette landscape for a number of years based on this iconic yeah. character they yeah. created through advertising because people wanted to associate with that guy. Yep. He was like this rugged cowboy, you know, whatever. He, he... I just wanted that jacket. <laughs> yeah, I, it's to this day I want that jacket. I want to walk into it. And wasn't it like if you, if you, the you know, dusto, it, yeah. it was sort of like the old cereal box thing, but if you cut like the code off of like 9,000 cartons of Marlboro cigarettes, you could send away and get that jacket. Well, and they kind of hedged their bets because by the time you had your uh, enough coupons, you, you, you died of cancer. You were dead. So they knew. <laughs> it's like, we only got to make about 20 of these jackets. Because <laughs> only a genetic freak of nature can smoke that much. Right. And, not and, and a few in. did. Yeah. And a few did. Yeah. But, but no, you're right. It's like what, you know, that's what drives us to uh, uh, like, you know, we all have, you know, from even from our childhood, there's something like, uh, why do you like a lever action rifle versus a, a bolt action? Or why do you like, uh, you know, why would you buy a $600 um, canvas wax canvas pack, you know, of, uh, versus a, a Walmart book bag? You know, both are going to do the same thing. Yeah. But there's some prestige and there's something, there's something about that waxed canvas look or, or leather that just, just, it, 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 it's, it's warm and fuzzy. You know, it makes you feel good. Yeah. I, and we're not trying to be, and there's nothing here. wrong with that. There's nothing wrong. We all blow money on stuff that we don't need. Right. That's, that's part of what's, it's part of what it is to be an American. That's our privilege. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we all do it. But I mean, in the grand scheme of things, yep. um, you're probably better off or your bank account is probably better off if you like buying knives and canvas packs than if you like buying antique sports cars. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it depends. I mean, you, you know, you get markets. And, I mean, you know, you can get into that, I suppose. But no, you, you're probably safer just, you know, spending. I, I think you're better off buying a $600 backpack than a $50,000 uh, classic car or five of them or five of them for that matter yeah because then you gotta build a garage and heat it and pay taxes and, yeah and i'll yeah, think of all the tools you'd need to keep that yeah. thing on the road yeah sounds kind of cool though yeah yeah let's uh <laughs> when we're done here let's go to the classic car uh classic, classic car auctions yeah. yeah let's do that but but no you're right i mean that's kind of what drives us and um you know it's the style i mean we're obsessed with style and but what you say it's it's an emotional factor that makes you go out and buy what for whatever whatever you um 
end up with for equipment or you end up even like, uh, like for instance, uh, canoeing. I mean, you can go buy a $250 Coleman canoe and use it all summer and catch fish and have, have a lot of fun with it. But isn't it cool to, you know, to have a, a $10,000 classic cedar strip canoe with a, you know, with that, you know, custom made wooden paddle. I mean, there's just a certain prestige behind that. Yeah. Well, yes. And no, I do see what you're saying, but I will say that there are huge differences in performance with boats, you know, based on the hull shape. I totally agree with your point, but just because I have one of those fancy You canoes. do realize I'm setting you up, yeah, right? I totally okay. Do. Now you have to say, wait a second. Wait <laughs> a second. There is a difference between some equipment, how equipment works and how equipment doesn't. So then you get to the point where when you buy your equipment, are you really going to get into this sport enough to justify? Right. In other words, I think I know people that can justify a thousand dollar canoe paddle. Right. I, I cannot. I've never seen a thousand dollar canoe. Oh, paddle. I can show you a two thousand dollar. I got one for sale in my truck, actually. <laughs> But, uh, you know, most of those end up hanging on the wall because they're a work of art. But, right. I mean, I know people that can justify, let's say, a $200 paddle. That's realistic. Yeah. Um, I can't. I can't. I can't. You know, I mean, I can go out with, a, you know, a $60 wooden paddle. or a, And I'm fine. But there are people that have taken the, the, the art of canoeing to the level where they can justify having that expensive equipment. Because, first of all, that's really all they do. Yeah. And they're, they do it all the time. And, and it's just – so you do get to the point where – you know, maybe I can justify a $1,500 rifle. Maybe. I have a, uh, using the same logic, but a different thing. I have a relative who has a $12,000 bicycle, right? That's a good example. And people say, There's well, why would example. anybody spend $12,000 on a bicycle? But this relative has done, I think, 23 Ironman triathlons now and probably spends 30 hours a week, week in, week out yeah. for, you know, year after year after year yeah. riding that bicycle. Yeah. So to the point where if you're going to use something that much, <laughs> that one ounce or this tiny little difference yeah. that to, to a dubber, you know, to me, if I were to get on a bicycle, I wouldn't even notice the difference. But, to, you know, if you're spending that number of hours in it or on it or using well, it, whatever, yeah. it matters. And one I can agree. Actually, I can I can agree with you on personal experience because I pedal I pedaled my bike through Nova Scotia. Back in 2005, I went on a 10-day excursion, and I, I pedaled through Nova Scotia on a mountain bike. And I learned, you know, and I've, I was into cycling a lot uh, up until probably about 10 years ago. But, um, you know, there's, like with, with cycling, you know, an ounce off, uh, an ounce off the wheel is, is, uh, is, an, is a pound off the bike. And that's where you get into it. There is a scientific, uh, there's scientificness, I guess, for lack of a better word, to cycling. So, no, if you're a professional cycler, uh, cyclist and you and you go on those 20 mile rides after work i mean no you can justify a six or seven thousand dollar bicycle yeah um however as you said if it's just you know if you buy that six thousand dollar bike as a status symbol and hang it in your garage it's no different than i mean you could just as easily buy a 200 hundred dollar bike at walmart and do the same thing right or anywhere you know, besides walmart or anywhere besides walmart because you know we, I, I didn't mean to we can edit that out but um, but you know, so it comes to the point where it's like, you can justify expensive equipment if you use it. And the question is how many of us really use it? And, you know, so where does it become, uh, you know, where does it get to the point where, you know, you, you bought something you'll never use. You spent too much money on it and you only spent it because you, you, there was something about that item you had to have. Right. You know, I guess I kind of 
got off topic a no no bit, but, but again like what's the minimum i think a good place to start is with the minimum viable kit right yeah. it doesn't have to be a fancy knife any knife it doesn't have to be a fancy fire lighter yeah. it could be a pack of matches yeah. and the, the point is that my critique of the outdoor industry and with the, the the fetish that people are developing for all sorts of fancy gear is that it's a barrier to entry mm-hmm. say if, if there's a young guy listening to this or, or young young woman listening to this like you don't need to have the the 600 pack to go out and carry stuff around on your back you no. can you know you can i've seen people that spend lots of time out um you know have some of the worst gear ever but they're just expert in using it yeah. And that's, I think, again, we like to do the, or we like to use this, uh, this term around here at Jack Mountain these days called purchased, not practiced, or no, practiced, not purchased. There you go. And one yeah. of the guys on the snowshoe expedition came up with that dragon. Here's a shout out to you. But yeah, uh, practice, not purchased, meaning that, you know, you learned how to use the thing. You didn't sort of try to buy into the cool kid club by getting the trendy piece of gear. Exactly. Um, and, 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 and it, the people that really use the equipment benefit from it. You know, and, and Morris Kohansky had a good saying. It's like, buy something, use it, and use it up. You know, in other words, use your stuff and get, get good at using your stuff, whether it's a knife or a saw or, or whatever you're using. And um, I, I think that a lot of people, you know, if you buy, you know, like you say, if you buy the hiking equipment or you buy the, the, the uh, I don't know, it seems to me. It seems to. It seems to me. There's a certain trend on the internet or YouTube or whatever that people want to buy all this primitive gear, go out and cut trees down, and live primitively in the woods. Is that? And they call it bushcraft. <laughs> there's Is something that, I've heard of this. All right. Maybe. And again, I hope I'm not into any copywritten issues. But, <laughs> um, but that seems to be a trend. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Now you think of the guys that were. Who are they emulating or trying to emulate? Uh, fictitious characters from movies and TV. Right. Who didn't exist in the first place. Right. And so, and you think about it, what did those characters, you know, what did the, what were those people actually doing? You know, they had, a, you know, a pair of boots, a ground cloth, uh, a knife of any, whatever, you know. Now, there is a difference, you know, as a knife collector, I, I'll have to say there is a difference between the $10 knife and the $200 knife. Right? $190. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, but the point, you know, the thing is, and if you're going to use that $200 knife, you're still going to break it. Right. You're going to break a $900 knife. And quite honestly, if you pay $900 for a knife, you're never going to use it. Because you'd be too afraid of breaking exactly. it. I equate it to uh, a sort of so, analogy that, like, so, I remember being in my late teens and had, yeah. we had, uh, I had a 1978 Ford Fiesta, right? Yeah. I could take it anywhere. Like, if I wanted to drive to Boston and park it in the worst neighborhood ever, leave the window down who cares no one's gonna steal it no you know you, you know but you compare that to having like a nice car you don't want to leave it anywhere right. you're afraid to drive on bad roads exactly. you know and it, it i think it robs you of some of the experience and that's what it comes down to and uh you know are you a survivalist or are you a shit hoarder and you know people tend to be shit hoarders um <laughs> you know it's it's <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I guess to sum it up, you know, just to take a step back, anyone who is looking at getting into experiencing the outdoors or living, you know, take everything with a grain of salt, you know, and, and, and marketing is your, is, is, is evil as far as, you know, you need this, you need that. And as soon as something, as soon as something's used up, they come out with another product. Yeah. You know, and then that's happened historically. A good example of that is with the firearms industry. I mean, you know, there's only two or three calibers you ever really need. To, to, to go to be a hunter or a sportsman in North America. 
Um, now there's, you know, 50, 60 off the top of my head. Whereas any of those three, pri you know, primitive, uh, pri primitive, uh, original ideas would have worked. Any of those, uh, like the 30-06, it's pretty tough to beat a 30-06. Yeah. Okay. Um, everything is a, is either a neck down 30-06 or this or that or, or, or a six, 257 Roberts or this or that. And it's, it, and it's good for a specific use, but the bottom line, a 30-06 will do all that. Yeah. And it's 20 bucks a box, not 40, 60 bucks a box. So right. I hate to get into talking about that because you're always going to have rebuttal. You know, you're always going to have issues with, oh, I have a 280 Remington, a 7-millimeter 08 has less recoil. I'm not arguing that. Yeah. What I'm saying is, is the 30-06 good enough to do the one job and, One and done. Yeah. One and done. 12-gauge shotgun, 30-06, and a 22. Right. That's all you need in North America. Now, uh, you, know, in, you know, can you shoot a grizzly bear with a 30-06? Yes. Is it advised? Nah, maybe not. Maybe you shouldn't be shooting at it anyway. But the point is, how many of us are actually going to go grizzly hunting? With a 22. With anything. <laughs> I can't afford a grizzly hunt. So why do I need a $2,000 rifle or a three thirty eight Win Mag? When I'm when I'm hunting whitetail, you don't, right? You know, so it's like there are there are, uh, um, and we're getting off on another subject. But the bottom line is marketing. Marketing has driven that is to, to to out of control. I mean, everybody's got the you know the latest. They got to come up with another cartridge. They got to come up with another rifle, a lighter rifle, a different material. It's all it's and it's always better than the last one. Right. But the irony of the entire thing is that. All of our, if you're listening to this, your ancestors. I don't think anyone's listening by now. No. Well, but. right. <laughs> <laughs> but all of our ancestors made it through 99.999% of human history before, you know, industrial gear production. So. Up till about 100 years ago. Right. You'd yeah. make, you could make, I mean, make a knife yourself, you know, yeah. like stuff like that. Yeah. So, th you know, that's the, that's the irony is now they've convinced us that if we, step off of the, the the paved road with anything less than you know the million dollars worth of stuff that, that tell us we need that we're going to die a slow miserable death and so is everybody we know yeah and you're crazy not to do this yeah yeah you, you're gonna and you'll be happy when you have it because when you need it you'll be happy you have it i've heard that saying like uh, i'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it right i'd rather have a gun and not need it than but need the it flip side of that is i've seen people show up for programs with like a tractor trailer full of stuff and yeah and they don't use any and no it. sherpa yeah and no <laughs> sherpa like <laughs> so you know you can take that i mean to some extent that that mindset is probably uh productive but you can definitely take it too far in that yeah. you know we're drowning in stuff and when you have too much stuff you are too insulated from the experience and you don't have as positive yeah. of an experience. And actually on that, you know, we uh, I'll give you a hand this afternoon cleaning that, you know, all the stuff, all the extra equipment you have laying around. I'll, I'll help you get rid of that. Perfect. You get way too much stuff. We'll, just, we'll put it in a big fire and light it up. I, I guess what we're trying to say is we're all guilty of it. You know, we all accumulate equipment over the years and, you know, there's some stuff we get emotionally can't let go of, but, you know, you stop and think about it and, and you know from like doing canoe trips, I'm sure, because you get a lot of experience in that certainly a lot more than i have but you learn really quick what you need and what you don't need right and the happiest i mean those are when out on the trail whether it's canoeing snowshoeing you know if it's a long hike or whatever but if you're out for a couple of weeks say two weeks minimum those are some of the happiest times of my year because what i have is limited to what i can throw on my back and yeah. carry across the, the carry trail or whatever and you know you're not drowning in stuff and i think most of us modern Americans, anyway, are just drowning in too much stuff. 
So yeah, to be out sure. there where you have a limited amount of stuff with you yeah. is is it's just freeing and it's awesome. Yeah, and it, you know, in defense of you know the the people that do have, it's like it's 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 so overwhelming and you're so inundated with with the with the with the equipment that's out there. It's like. You, you end up with too much crap. But when you actually get out there and start, you realize the more skill you have, the less equipment you need. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Because when you see a guy that's walking around with a Swiss Army knife and a, and a, and a hat, it's like, that guy really knows what he's doing. He's like got he, no equipment. No pants? Is that yeah. just a hat? And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> but no, you know, like you say, you see the guy with a 60-pound pack, it's like, oh, newbie, huh? Yeah. Well, yeah. I love that when people, uh, <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm going to, write this guy a letter but a friend of mine runs courses where he's like a knife only survival course and i'm gonna be like are you talking about christopher i'm gonna pretend that uh, <laughs> i'm gonna get in touch with him pretend i'm somebody else and i'm like knife only that means no pants right <laughs> oh yes yes absolutely no no pants uh which kind of did chris yeah well maybe it's a conversation for another time but yeah um that's an interesting one knife only so yeah it's like wow Anyway, so anyway. I think we've kind of beaten this to death. But I guess my point is I want to say on the record that I don't think there's anything wrong with having a lot of gear, but the gear shouldn't be the focus. Yeah. You know, the gear is there to allow you to have the, well, f- the experience. The, 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 the easy way to think about it is the shit you own shouldn't have boning you. There you go. Think about it that way. Yeah. And, and in most cases, the stuff we own does. You know, and, and that can be you can apply that to any walk of life, whether it's bushcraft or, uh, you know, um, collecting um, vintage snow machines i mean you know after a while you get to the point it's like you know there's a problem yeah i get a problem here you know and then you i don't know anyway i don't i don't know what to do about it but just you know, like i say if you're if you're getting into the uh, into the uh, great outdoors if you're just starting on these expeditions and stuff it's like really you know take take your time and you know and, and think about what you really need and and you know don't buy the latest and greatest because next year it's not going to be. Yeah. It's going to be uh, someone else will think of something else. and They'll put a digital clock on it. And a good example, if you can take some of these guys, I don't want to throw any names out there, but you know, go on YouTube and look at the guys with the most hits and go back as far as you can in their videos and, and see what they were talking about then and then kind of just follow along and see where they're at now. And you'll notice that, wow, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, they went from one to the next to the next to the next. And it's just like, that's that's a good example of some you know someone trying to sell you something you don't need right um and i'm not pointing at anyone or mentioning anyone this isn't directed towards anyone specifically but there are people out there that you can say well didn't doesn't that kind of contradict what you said you know two years ago on this thing and if they haven't deleted the video you know yeah but um but anyway that's kind of off on another thing but that's a good way to you know See where they see where they started and see what they're doing now, and that's kind of a good indication of what they've learned. Because a lot of guys that get into doing YouTube videos and these survival schools, it's like they really just get into it to get into you know learning themselves. And you know, after a few years, well, guess what? They've learned. So chances are, what they're doing now is probably maybe the right decision versus what they would. You know, that's a good kind of a good uh, way to measure. Yeah, for sure. You know what I'm the trying. The more to get experience at. you get, the less you're relying on random pieces of kit and yeah. you know a lot of people when they're starting out have some strong and well, crazy ideas yeah. like why did this guy in his first video he had a 300 hundred dollar custom made knife now he's got a more neck knife that he bought for 14 bucks why is that uh i don't know because 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 it works oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> i'm assuming you know but you, you see it's stuff like that it's like well you know maybe maybe that is maybe maybe i don't need to spend 300 maybe that 20 dollar knife will work yeah 
for sure. So that's kind of an, you know, yeah, minimum viable yeah, kit. Yeah, exactly. So minimum he, viable kit, which is back to the MV. Oh, by the way, that's Tim's new copy written, MVK. <laughs> Not EDC, MVK. Minimum viable kit. <laughs> yes. What you need to be viable. That's a, that's a Jack Mount Bushcraft <laughs> original right there. <laughs> Created this morning after two giant cups of coffee right before we and I'm ready for another one. one. I don't know about you. Another yeah. cup of coffee. So let's uh we're gonna wrap this thing up, but thanks again for for listening. And if you made it this far, you've got quite a bit of endurance and stamina. Yeah, I I I I, I can <laughs> congratulate you know, that's that's a tough one. But. Uh but thanks again. And uh if you hey, if you enjoy this podcast, leave us a review wherever you uh wherever you're listening to this, because those little things help help us get the word out. But again, thanks for listening and we'll hit you back here before too long. Thanks. 